Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Paul. How's it going? I'm doing, doing well. A little tired this week, but doing well. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's been uh, crazy. I'm doing well. Uh, and... Um... It's been an interesting last two weeks since we chatted. So, my son got his driver's license, and oh. so he's fully driving. And last weekend, my wife and I—I um, I th- I think it might have been the quickest transaction we ever did. Uh, we got her another car. Um, so my son has her old car, and we bought a new car for my wife. And so Wait, you bought a new car. Oh my goodness. Well, it's, um, it was actually very quick. So we bought a, a certified pre-owned. I know we talked about that in the, sh- in the show. Yes, in the past. Okay. So, uh, mm. We bought a CPO, uh, Subaru and, uh, my wife's old Subaru went to my son. It's like the commercial, right? That's what I tell everybody. It's like the commercial, right? So we knew this day was coming and I procrastinated and, um, long story short, like in the rain, we went kind of spur of the moment, um, looked at the website, saw a couple that looked okay to me, um, test drove both, wife liked one over the other, and we just put the deposit down immediately and just got it last Wednesday. So we're now a three-car family, which is pretty scary. I know you're you're used to that, Paul, having multiple cars. I'm used to having my driveway clear, um, but um, it's kind of cool. My son's got his independence, and then on top of that, um, he now has a summer job. Uh, he works at uh, an amusement park, Rye Playland. Uh, I worked there as a kid. And uh, it's been great between the car and the job. Um, there's a lot of teachable moments that I'm finding. Um, so in terms of um, him getting the job and, and working through the details and W-2s and, and such. And, and I really want to save a bunch of this, Paul, for maybe a full episode on kids and jobs because I have a whole bunch of stories related to this journey that my son took to get this first summer job. So I want to save it for that. So that's a little bit of a teaser. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was a pretty productive last two weeks. How about yourself, Paul? Uh, it, it's been a crazy last two weeks for me. Uh, we we actually did do a little vacation with uh, the extended family, in-laws and my wife's uh, family. So we did that, came back, and then... 20, less than 24 hours later, we're in a car driving our son to his new home. Really, he uh, got a job, so we drove him from New York to the Tampa, Florida area. And that's where I am right now, broadcasting from or recording from. But So we did that drive with uh, two cars, a new puppy, three drivers, saltwater aquarium. Oh, and for fun, we drove through a tropical storm. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well you're safe morning. and sound, which is the main thing. So, yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that we had our little pre-talk before we hit the record button. Um, actually, kids and jobs is very timely, right? So for your story, it's kids and with like his real job. <laughs> and for me, yeah. it's my kid with his, his summer job. But I think there's a lot of parallels, a lot of teachable moments in both situations. So we should definitely do that episode. Um, I'm itching to do that. So that's something we'll stay tuned, everybody. We'll... We'll figure that one out. Um, I guess we'll, we'll, you know, today uh, the focus is going to be gas and el- versus electric cars. This is a topic, Paul, that I know is near and dear to your heart. Um, I have my viewpoints on it at this point, um, 
and we'll talk through them. And they're not bad viewpoints. I hope I didn't sound negative. Um, I, I just um, think that'll be an interesting topic. I'm not as familiar with the electric car market, but it'll be great to kind of walk through this and doing some of my research and some of my reading. Um, it's pretty compelling. And so I'm interested to do the topic today. So, uh, But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Now, we always say that, Paul, right? But we're switching it up. Uh, we're going to change this up, and thank you, Paul, for for kind of bringing this up. I think what would we call this, Paul? I I, I think the word that came to mind was instead of doing a news stories uh, this week, we're going to do two topics that are not necessarily news stories, but like maybe mini little teachable snippets. I don't know what you'd want to call them, but Paul, what what are you thinking? We should call these things. I I, I don't know things that you probably should know but really don't know. Or, or don't, haven't taken the time to fully understand. I, I don't know. I don't have a catchy buzz phrase for it yet. But any things you probably should know more about. Financial mini topics? Uh, financial bites? I don't know. Something. Yeah, financial bites could work. Uh, we'll, we'll play with that terminology. But why don't we jump into it? So the link that you, you sent, uh, Paul, which is great, um, was from Investopedia. And it's a simple you know, article on terms of employment. Right, what they are, how the terms of employment work, special considerations, uh, how does it impact you if you're traveling abroad, um, and and there's a lot of different links within the story. So we've posted both these links that we're going to talk about today to the Facebook page, but they're very interesting. When I read this article, Paul, the one thing that struck me, and maybe it's just because I'm used to working in the U.S. for a very long time. Um, there are these terms of employment around retirement plans and life insurance and health insurance, which are important. But then there's terms of employment, which relates to the hiring and firing and non-compete agreements and, and notices of termination. And I'm familiar with it at a somewhat, um, I guess, what would I call it? Personal level, because I've used some of them before, right? Obviously, uh, I've worked for companies that don't have my own business, so I'm always very careful about my health insurance selection, my life insurance selection, my retirement plans. And a lot of it's all very standard in terms of, you know, when you leave a job, uh, you're, you, they, they put you on what they call COBRA here in the U.S. for a certain amount of time. And then you can choose to pick up your health insurance at your own cost. And then if you leave a company, sometimes uh, your, your life insurance you had with that company ends and maybe they'll give you an option to extend it or maybe not. And that's why we always tell people on the show, get your own life insurance, um, you know, because you want something that stays with you and not dependent on the employer. And then with retirement plans, you know, I always roll them over, except uh, I, I did a naughty thing, Paul. Um, I haven't rolled over my previous employer's plan to my IRA, which I've always droned about. So do as I say and not as I do. Um, so, but then you get into non-compete and, 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 and notice of termination uh, on both sides. Right? Well, actually, no. Notice of termination would be from the employer. Uh, but I, I've been in the situation where I've given my notice, right, which I've always done in a formal way. I've always done the same thing. I'll type a note, hand it to my employer, you know, and, and we take it from there. Um, and then non-compete, I've had those in the past um, and have had to work and navigate through and around those. Um, I know that from a rule of thumb perspective, you want to make sure they're not too restrictive in terms of especially being in the technology industry. It's hard to, um, you, know, you really have to read those carefully because a lot of the roles that you might take, whether you're on the uh, 
business side or technology side or whatever, you know, they're, they're, it's a small field and sometimes those non-competes can hurt you. So I'll kind of step back for a minute, Paul. And that, that my take on the whole thing was do your homework and, and dig into, this, into these links. And if you're uninformed, really get yourself up to speed with terms of employment. Paul, what was your take on this article? So, uh, again, I really thought this was great because when you're looking for, say you're looking for a new job, and, and I think the U.S. economy had, you know, 865,000 jobs added last month. It was a, a stellar month. And finally, you know, we we're getting sort of some real recovery going here, which is outstanding. But when you're really excited to get that job and you have that offer letter and a lot of the stuff is spelled out in that, don't just blindly sign it. Really, really take a look at it. I know people that have run into trouble with the terms of employment that they signed on for. You know, they quickly perused it. And this was a senior person at a firm. And they signed a five-year deal to be there. It was more of a contract in the terms of employment. And uh, that person wasn't very happy with what it was, uh, how the job was panning out for them after a few years. They um, did renegotiate that after I think year three or so, and now the person is much happier. But they were they were in a bad spot for a while, so it really wasn't good. And again, that's it was a senior level position, but just in general, understand what you're getting into. And the non-compete can be very restrictive. and as you were saying, especially in the technology field, but there are a lot of other fields too, where it's really, um, they're doing that to protect themselves, but that's at a cost sometimes, and that cost could be to flexibility for you. Now, if it gets very serious, obviously there are, Paul, you and I were talking about this before we hit the record button, there are employment attorneys. So depending on what you're doing, you know, it's worthy of having someone look at that, depending, again, on the level and how senior it is. And if you're concerned about something, it might be worthwhile to bounce it off an attorney. Because this isn't just, you know, a one-week thing. These are generally long-term employment things you're entering into, right? You don't want to start a job and leave there in a month. You want to be there, ideally, as long as you can, if it's a great environment. So something to consider um a lot of different takeaways in this article here paul you know some the u.s as you were saying versus some of the other countries you know like u.s labor law is very different than the european union for example they mandate they get at least four weeks vacation in europe finland uh, expect that mothers get paid at least six weeks before their due date and then another 15 more weeks after the birth of the child Staggeringly different than the U.S., of course, but just understand what you're getting into. So when you're when you're looking at that job, and you have that offer, make sure you really take the time to understand all of it. And I, I think Paul, we might want to do an episode on some some of these things as well. You know, a, a friend of mine uh, recently hit her head in her house. She slipped and fell, hit her head, and she said no alcohol was involved. Uh, LH, I know you're listening. Uh, okay, if you say no alcohol, I'll believe you. But um, huh. a little shout out to her because I know she's listening. But at this, she ended up with a concussion. And it has been bugging her for weeks and weeks, and she just was having trouble getting through days. So instead of 
thinking clearly. I told her she was a little bit of an idiot, but she resigned. She resigned. And I did talk to her about that. And you have short-term disability. You work at a large organization. There's no reason why you should have resigned. You have 90 days of coverage in short-term, and then after that, there's long-term disability. Again, all this goes into the employer, how large they are, and what they're able to offer their employees. And I really think we can do a whole topic on this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's ideal. Hopefully your friend is doing well. I'm hoping the concussion is cured. And and I think a lot of times, uh, depending on the employer and the employee, um, some of these decisions that are made, uh, they could be two-way door decisions, right? So, you know, in the heat of the moment, you, you, you quit and then there could be some, you know, it could be a two-way door where you could go back and say, you know what, I changed my mind and, and the employer would be okay. Um, maybe in some cases you can't do that, right? And, and, and so it's very interesting how all these things work. Um, but, but hopefully for your friend, she's okay. And, and hopefully um, whatever final decision she makes, hopefully she can do what she wants and, and figure this out and, 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 and work effectively. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Very cool. All right. Cool. So I think the next Investopedia uh, article is Best Crypto Exchanges. And we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. So everyone uh, who's listening, uh, you can listen back if you haven't heard it. Um, but this kind of extends to what we talked about on that call, right? On that um, episode, right, Paul? The We talked about Coinbase, which seems to be the, the big behemoth uh, exchange that's used for crypto. Um, and, and where people keep their wallets and they're, and, and it's easy to use and, and, and stuff like that. But it is interesting, uh, that there's other companies out there that are doing this, uh, cash app, buy fan, Binance, uh, BISC. There's a lot of them. Um, I'm not, and then once I said, like I said on the episode, Paul, I'm not as familiar with this and I haven't jumped into any crypto purchasing or investing or or mining any of the things we talked about on that episode but this is a great article for people to check out once again it's posted to our facebook page and it looks like best overall is what we had recommended and talked about on our last podcast which was coinbase but paul what was your take on this article yeah it it was good i kind of wish i had seen this article prior to me actually using some of these things but uh fortunately i did go with coinbase um, many months ago here, and it is somewhat easier to use. The Coinbase Pro version is really no different, but your lower fees and such. But it, it is interesting to see how some of these apps or, or tools are marketing themselves and how they're uh, trying to. I don't. There's very little regulation against around the uh, around the cryptocurrencies, so there's. It's sort of a little bit of Wild West, as we talked about, but Coinbase is actually a publicly traded company now. It's on uh, one of the exchanges. I think it's the NASDAQ. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But So that one does, that in itself gives itself a lot of legitimacy, just in some ways. Obviously, not all publicly traded companies are, are great, but I think that helps it a lot. I found using Coinbase really pretty effective and easy to use. Um, I wouldn't say my investment strategy worked out as well as I wanted on it, but the tool is good. 
Very cool. And then there's some other ones out there too that they don't rate, which I'm sort of surprised. Like uh, Robinhood, I know has you can do some of the cryptocurrencies through that as well. But it, it was a good article. It's, I think it's a good summary here of what they are and what they can do, what they aren't good at, and they do touch on the topic of wallets and and such, which uh, especially for someone getting started without a wallet or any of that. Coinbase makes it really, really easy to get started in this world. Yeah, it sounds like that's the financial dad's pick, right? Like if you're going to dip your toe into... Yeah, or suggestion, (laughs) right? Okay, we'll say suggestion is to to check out Coinbase. We don't want a bunch of angry people coming back if uh, something goes awry. So we're suggesting uh, Coinbase if you want to try putting a little money in and and you can get your wallet and and it seems like it has a really good interface and it is... It is since it's a publicly traded company, there is some level of regulation and 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 uh, and oversight that has to take place, right, for the company to be public. So, um, I would say that if you're gonna do this, that that might be a a place to check out. So, very cool, very cool. So, I think Paul, with that, we'll we'll go on to our weekly topic, uh, which is gas versus electric cars. Um, my current situation. Um, I'm not adverse or I think the electric cars are pretty cool. Uh, obviously, um, you own one, Paul, our good friend Ken owns one. I got a couple of other good friends that have them, love them. Uh, it becomes a very, um, people who have them really love them and, and, and they really, um, will, um, they love all the technology associated with it. They love the economics of it. They love the um what's the other word i would be looking for the low maintenance of them there's a lot of positives to electric cars i i think personally for me um until my my brother's in the auto industry right so he's he's a master certified technician for big big car line um until he switches car lines i'm not getting an electric car (laughs) so or or if they come out with one that that would be affordable i'm gonna stay put and and for me it comes down to the use case um, I got so many other problems in my life um, that the last thing I need to do is worry about my car. And what's kind of cool is if I have a problem with my car, I, I text my brother and I either describe it or take a picture of what the problem is and he tells me what to do next, right? So for me, it's just just easy. Um, and, you know, same thing with my with my wife's car. You know, she drove a Subaru for many, many years. And when it was time to get another car... It, for her, it was a no-brainer, right? So, you know, just decided, look, I want this. This is what I want. Like I said, I never bought something so expensive so fast. Um, it just, we just bought it, right? It just was something. I'm thankful and grateful we were able to, to, to make the transaction. But, you know, it's just one of those things that for us at this point in time, um, I don't have a strong interest in, in switching to electric, or hybrid, but I know that it's coming, and I'm glad we're doing this topic, Paul, because you have a lot of experience in this space. So I'm interested to hear about more about your current situation, um, and then we'll dive into kind of the topics that we have. and And I'm looking forward to your vantage point on this because you're much more informed on this than I am. Yeah. Wow. Um, listening to you, it's it's pretty interesting that okay, you have a problem. You'll text your brother, whatever noise or thing you're seeing with a picture, and uh, and he'll help you on that. 
And I believe that line, they, they are coming out with a line, by the way, Paul, that manufacturer. So it'll be interesting to see. Where with my electric car, if I have something, I send them a message in the app on my phone. Uh, if it's something I need to take a picture of, I can upload that. They evaluate the car remotely via pictures and or all the telemetry data they have on the vehicle. And they can diagnose and fix a lot of the things remotely. Uh, something physical broken? Obviously not. But there are a lot of things they can look at just over the air, which is kind of amazing with uh, with this manufacturer. So, yeah, I do have an electric car. I, I've had one for over three years now. My first one, uh, I actually traded that in for a new one. I had 38,000 miles on that one. A lot of that was highway miles from where I live in New York to whether it be our Pennsylvania office or our New Jersey office or, or both in a week, whatever it was. So I was doing a significant amount of driving. Um, luckily for me, one of the great things for me was my employer in our one location in Pennsylvania, they actually have car chargers there. And there were a lot of people, believe it or not, that had either the battery gas hybrid, you know, the um, like the BMWs or the Hondas, and then there were a bunch of people that had the Teslas. Um, there were so many people trying to charge there on the four chargers we had. They actually put in four more, which is which is really kind of staggering. They had eight chargers there for all the people who were making that transition. This is a larger building, uh, you know, well over a thousand people capacity, but it was still really kind of interesting to see that the first four chargers were full all the time and they actually put in four more for us. So uh, hats off to them. They, they did a great job with that and uh, we appreciated it. Then COVID hit and no one was driving there anymore. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Paul, I'm going to go on here for a little bit. Uh, you know, like I said, I've had it over three years, 38,000 miles on it. The maintenance I've had on the vehicle has been, I changed the wiper blades, I put in washer fluid, and I um, you know, had a nail or two in tires. That's all I did in three years on the vehicle. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think, um, I think, I think they're a great option. Um, like we said, our buddy Ken has one. My buddy Hunter has one. Um, my 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 son's friends, fam, you know, parents have them. I see them all over town now, where I live. Um, I drive around. I do see them. So I, I think they're great. I, I I think for me, like I said, it's just really the use case. It's just not my time to get one. But I think that I'm. I am. I think they are very cool. I like the fact that you know you don't have to worry about gas anymore. Um, and you don't have to worry about some of these other pieces that you have to worry about with gasoline engines and, and, and some of these other pieces. So I, I think they are great. I think at some point I'll, I will own one. I think at some point everyone will own one, right? I, I think that's where the direction is going over the next decade is there'll be more and more electric and less and less gas. And, you know, as the world's gas supplies start to, you know, I, I think I read somewhere at one point we got like 80 years worth of gas or petroleum left. There was some kind of interesting stat, which I won't see personally, but my kids might. Right. So it's very interesting, like where this market's going to go, because the world demand for, you know, gas and petroleum um, 
you know, is going to, you know, if we don't do electric, it's going to increase. And then, you know, you could have real chaos. So I really do like the fact that we have and people have this option now uh, for electric cars. And and for me, Paul, I think maybe for this episode, because I want to learn more, we could kind of go into this interview style, right, where I know we have a bunch of topics and maybe I can kind of ask you the questions and, and what sure. my thoughts are. Because um, I'm really fascinated with it. Maybe by the end of this, at some point, maybe I'll buy one sooner than than I'm thinking, right? So definitely for them, I, I just think it comes down still for the use case, right? I think that one of the things we'll touch upon is the homework and the math, right? So if you own a brand new car now and you want to trade that in to get another car and it's electric and you're going to look at that cost save, really do your math on it, right? As opposed to... If you have a car that's on its last legs, you've been driving it for 10 years, and now you need to buy a new car, the math probably looks a lot better, right, rather than replacing a new car, right? So there's well, probably depends, a few things there. So actually, that's why I traded in my one for the new one, because I did want something a little bit bigger, Paul, um, because my my small SUV is on its last legs. It's a 12-year-old car, and it was having a lot of trouble. But because the used market, used market is so strong right now, I took advantage of that by trading in my three-year-old vehicle, which I've never, ever done before. I usually keep them 10 years uh, for the newer version, for the, for the bigger version. Um, they gave me a staggering amount uh, on that trade-in. So for me, it made financial sense to do that. And we even talked a little bit about that, I think, in the last episode as far as the states and the ink, the um, trade-in value when you trade in a vehicle that comes off the price of the vehicle for tax purposes. So when I did all the math, it made sense for me. But go on. Yeah, no, no, and and that's where I think it, it really goes down to doing the math, right? And we yeah. we talk about that a lot, right? Whether it's a purchase or a home or moving to a different part of the country, it always comes down for us to do your homework, do the math, right? That's probably our, that would probably be our tagline if we needed a tagline for, for a website would be, you know, do the homework, do the math, right? Like, I think that's the, uh, the mantra and, and it works, right? Because you're trying to make sure that you have everything covered. You've looked at all the angles as best you can. Sometimes you're going to miss some move on that chessboard, right? Something you didn't see coming, right? And that happens, but you try to mitigate that risk by doing your homework, especially the math, right? So I think we'll jump into it, Paul. So I think for me, I'm looking at the different types, right? So there's gas, full gas, uh, the traditional gas car, uh, hybrid, which is this combination of gas and, and electric, and then all electric, right? So Paul, maybe you could dive in a little bit on those topics. And maybe we all know what a gas car is, but you know the hybrid versus electric. And I haven't really studied that market, but Knowing you and knowing you for a long time, when you looked at buying one of these vehicles for the first time, you probably looked heavily at both the hybrid and the full electric. So I want to hear your 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 take on kind of the comparison among the two or maybe even the three. Yeah. Um, so when I was looking, I was either going all in or I wasn't. So I didn't look at the hybrid much um, for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, for me, philosophically, so the gas engine has been around for a long time. They generally know pretty darn well how they work, right? And and they keep have been improving them for over the years. Yes, a lot more computer controlled and complicated, and with the parts and and so on and so forth. Where the battery electric ones, those those hybrid ones, I felt like well now I have electric motor and a gas motor and the batteries and you know the fuel injection system, so I I have 
both things. So in my mind, I'm like, it's just even more complicated. So I I like simplicity. I try and be a, a very simple person. Um, my brain isn't that uh, big or or or, well, or, or uh, I'm not that smart, I should say. See, I can't even say it right. Uh, so I, I need simplicity. So when I was looking, I was looking from gas to go to electric. It, it was a big, a big jump. Um, a lot of the hybrids, where they're both, you only get a certain amount of range in electric. So it could be, you know, you're getting 10 miles of range of electric, and then the gasoline engine kicks over. And some of them, the gas engine is actually what's powering, creating electricity to generate the motor, to drive it. Some are just completely switching over to full gas and the electric is just there and maybe charging off the alternator. There are a lot of different ways to do it. For me, I didn't like that complexity of both. I was very tempted about it many years ago before there was a, a what I consider a viable all-electric vehicle. To me, that, that bar is a realistic 300 miles of range. That, that was my bar. Um, anything less than that, personally, I feel is more of a just a local vehicle. So uh, that's sort of my quick take on it. But I will tell you that we just brought two electric vehicles and drove them 1,200 miles. So that's that's a real trip. So is 1,200 miles, three drivers, two cars, a new puppy, a saltwater aquarium, moving my son to Florida. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I didn't even think about that angle of the of the hybrid where you have two different systems in the car, right? And I, I understand what you're talking about. And the example that comes to mind is many years ago when I was looking to buy a snowblower. I know, and this is uh, you'll see where I'm going with this. I went with my brother. We went to Sears at the time, looked at a snowblower, and there were two. One had uh, a joystick to move the um, the chute, if people who are familiar with snowblowers, right, you could point the snow to go in a certain direction when you're moving it, and then it had a headlight on it. It had all these things, right? Um, I think it even had, like, tractor treads and or, like, tank treads as opposed to wheels. And then there was one next to it that was a lot simpler, um, you know, a little crank, a little, uh, like, a um, steel crank where you could, you know, turn the chute and had no headlights and stuff like that. And when my brother looked down at both, he's like, clear winner, get the simpler one. He goes, look at all this stuff. Look at all the stuff that's going to break on this thing, right? Yeah. And he was right. Like, my snowblower, very simple controls, very simple um, uh, features. Um, it just lasts a long time. So, Paul, I could see your point where you talk about, you know, when you have a hybrid vehicle having too much complexity under the hood, right? You have a gas system. You have an electric system. I could see where that could start to break down. Yeah. And people do get worried about the electric vehicles like it's complicated, it's all computer controlled. Well, folks, your gasoline car is all computer controlled. If you've been listening to our podcast for a while, everyone knows I was a um, volunteer fireman, been a, was a chief. My buddy, uh, Greg, he's also a chief. And um, his chief's car was out of service for over two weeks because they had to wait for the main computer board to come in from Michigan because 
it is fried. So now you have, you know, they, yes, they have a spare emergency vehicle for him and stuff. It's a very bigger, much bigger department than I was in. But when you look at it, same sort of thing. The computer board in the car, that's what's controlling it. The car couldn't shift gears because the transmission wasn't working, and that's how they had to fix it. They had to send a new board over. They put it in, and he's driving his car again. So from a, oh, my goodness, it's a computer-controlled thing, they're all computer-controlled. So the thing I like about mine is they're really a lot less moving parts. They're, there's just, they're, overall, there's less complexity and less parts to, for this vehicle. Very cool. But uh, I think the, the biggest challenge people have, Paul, in my opinion, everything I've heard, and I've had it too, and I even experienced some of this on this trip down that we can get into, but it's range anxiety. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you about next is you, you kind of alluded to it, or you did allude to it uh, before. Uh, 1,200 miles, two electric cars. Um, a lot of people out there would be, oh, my God, I'm going to be stopping every 15 minutes to charge this and wait an hour and then go another 15 minutes like there's probably people that are thinking that um but what was your experience with the range right now you took it on the long trip you take it around town uh, what's been your um experience and have you had range anxiety is it gone now and have you ever uh, been stuck without power for the vehicle have you had any situations where you're like uh-oh and not necessarily a bad thing. People do that with gas cars too, right? Like, uh-oh, I didn't get gas, right? Like, But um, tell me a little bit about your experience with range anxiety and any gotcha moments where you're like, ah, I forgot to plug it in, right? Like my iPhone or something like that. So interested to hear your stories on that. Yeah, wow. Um, good question there, Paul. I, I think anyone making the switch, you know, there, there is that range anxiety. Again, I have 38,000 miles on it on the one car that I traded in and oh my goodness now I'm driving 1200 miles you know I, I've never done that long a trip in the vehicle and you know yes there are superchargers uh, on the network uh, how's this really good, real world right is this really gonna work right so I, I did it um, the car is great many years ago they put into a navigation system okay you're driving from this point to this point well, along the way, here is where you will stop and charge and tells you how long to charge for to make it to the next stop. So it, it computes all that for you. It tells you where to stop. I found those estimates to be realistic and valuable. Me, due to some range anxiety, did spend maybe an extra five minutes on a charger. You know, they're saying stop for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Maybe I think one of them was 25 minutes stop. I stayed for 30, right? Just because I know the, the other challenge with some of these cars, by the way, is they're so freaking fast and so much fun to drive. It's instant torque. You're gone, right? So it, it's hard sometimes to control <laughs> your, your foot. That's why the cruise control and the... Um, somewhat autonomous driving is really helpful because it keeps you at bay in fact um, my car has something called chill mode which is where if you press the accelerator it doesn't give you full power it lets you just ease into it because it's so easy to just go my my one good friend leon um i think he went through a set of tires really really quick because he was driving so hard on the car 
So a good, good example there, actually. His car was uh, two months older than mine. He went through a set of tires in about 18,000 miles, whereas I hadn't gone through my first set with about 38,000. So you can really see the difference in how hard he was driving versus the way I was driving the car. So that... Uh, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Paul. No, Go ahead. No, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think one topic you touched upon, and and I think we're both more familiar with this t- term than maybe others, is consumables when it comes to a car. And you touched upon mm-hmm. it with tires or in a gas car you have oil changes or you have filters. What are some of the consumables that you have to worry about with an electric car besides the tires and the wiper blades? Um. I guess air cabin air filters, which would be in a regular car, mm-hmm. but really, I haven't had to do anything, Paul. What about like brake brake pads? Is it a different great, in an electric car? Yeah, yeah, great question on the brakes. I can't believe I didn't touch on that. Um, so my car has regenerative braking. Most electric cars do, and it's really neat because as you take your foot off the accelerator and you kind of learn how to do this, they call it one pedal driving. That's actually what it's called. So as you take your foot off the accelerator, the car slows down, kind of like you're braking, but that energy goes back into the battery. So it takes all that energy that you would have, quote unquote, wasted by hitting the brakes, and it regenerates electricity back into the battery system. And then as you get used to the vehicle, I would say it takes... Uh, it's, I did it really quickly, maybe in a less couple days, less than a week, definitely. I got used to that. Uh, my bride, it probably took her about, she says, maybe a week or two to get used to that regenerative braking and how, when it will stop as far as, you know, in, and once you get used to it, you know exactly how to feather the pedal or give it a little bit more power. You get to the stop line or stop sign. And you, it stops, and then you can go again. Or a stoplight, it goes to stop, it goes into what's called a hold mode. And then when the light turns green, you put your foot in the accelerator, and it goes again. So you don't touch your brakes. There was a gentleman, I just ran an article uh, last week, who is in Australia, has a different model, same vendor, the Tesla, on a bigger version. The uh, Model S is what he has. I don't have that. I have the, the, the Model Y and the Model 3. His Model S, he's driven 250,000 miles and hasn't replaced a brake yet. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot less consumables on the electric then as opposed to the to the gas-operated ones, which kind of leads also to the next topic around non-financial benefits. And it was interesting where you talked before about stopping along the way on your trip one of the non-financial benefits that popped into my mind is it's forced leg stretching time, right? If you got to charge the car, you stop, you get out of the car, you let it charge, you're getting a little air. I think, I know that's a minor, maybe it's a major benefit, but what are some of the other non-financial benefits? We, you know, There's environment, there's all kinds of things, but, and we'll get into the math because I know, Uh, I know you, Paul, we'll get into the nitty gritty on the financial benefits on the next topic. But what are some of the non-financial benefits from your lens that you see uh, for getting an electric? Yeah, so good good question there, Paul. The getting out and stopping and stretching your legs, 
you know, I maybe it's because I've, I've gotten a little bit older here, right? But the whole, you know, we used to just go and go and go. You know, we, I felt like we were in a pit crew, right? Filling up the car with gas in the old days, getting in and just going. You got to pee here. Here's a cup sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, maybe you know what I'm talking about, right? Yep, absolutely. You know, I've gotten a little bit, a uh, couple more grays now. Uh, I really didn't mind the getting up and stretching, you know, after three hours of driving or whatever it was. And it, it was actually, it made it a much easier drive in that sense. And it was enjoyable. What What is nice about the, um, at least the Tesla network, uh, a lot of them are like this. There's tons of different charging networks. There's ChargePoint, there's Blink, there's Charge America, which is a, a Volkswagen-sponsored one. Um, they're generally at places where there's facilities, there's a restroom, there's places to get something to eat and things like that. So, yes, the car does take time to charge. And, and I think that was one of the sort of the, downside was yeah the overall trip did take longer but the benefit of it being more relaxing of a drive because you are taking those breaks and i actually i felt much safer because i wasn't dead tired of just constantly driving um and some of that has to do with the vehicles themselves as to how much they help you and assist you in the driving i'm not talking full autonomous driving i i don't do that but um, I do let the car help me quite a bit, and it it, it was great. Uh, even uh, the puppy needed breaks too, so it's not like I was really exacerbating my journey. But honestly, yes, it did take longer than if it was a gasoline car, undoubtedly. But overall, I felt it was better. I guess one of the other non-financial benefits is ties into some of the financial, but. I can plug in at home. I have a charger at home. And if I know I'm going to go on a trip tomorrow, well, I just charge it. I, I don't have to go to a gas station. If I choose to, I can wake up every morning with my car at 80% or 90% or 100% charge, whatever I choose to do. So you can do that. You can plug in every night, and there are people that do that. Yeah, and that's... And- Oh, yeah, and I'm 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 thinking there were two things that come to mind. Uh, one is you mentioned the Volkswagen charger. Now, I I hope that the different manufacturers have synced up a bit in terms of charging cables, if you want to call that right. Like you know, the old thing where you know an Android phone charger can't be used on an iPhone and vice versa. So, are all these charging cables that plug into all these different vehicles are they all using the same type of charging plug no that would be too smart paul okay okay so i was hopeful that they had at least standardized on that piece so every manufacturer is it is it rampant where all the different manufacturers have different plugs or is it 80% 80% of them use one type of plug and the other 20 use their own special adapter. Like, how does that work? So there's kind of three different standards right there, out there now. Um, one is a CSS charger, which is this bigger charger that's really predominant in Europe and as well as some here in the U.S. Um, then there's something called a J1775 
I wish someone would come up with a better nickname for it or something, but that's what it is. There's that, and then there's sort of the Tesla one. So Tesla being really the, the first to the market had to do a lot on their own, including building the infrastructure and the superchargers, because you had a chicken and egg problem. People aren't going to buy cars if they can't go anywhere. Well, I, how am I going to deploy, how am I going to do chargers if I don't have people with cars? So they did make that that leap of faith and deployed thousands of chargers throughout the world and the continental U.S. and Canada and Mexico, you know, all, all over. So you can go from coast to coast, up, down, east, west, anywhere. But on the Tesla, they use their charger. But, for example, I charge, um, the office used to have a charge point charger and that used the J1775. I have an adapter, my car came with that adapter. So I could plug in the charge point into my adapter for that and go right into my car and that would work. So that's how um, how that manufacturer's done it and some of the other manufacturers are straight up one of the other connectors. Got it, okay, and that kind of talks about, you mentioned kind of these different adapters. We talked about at the beginning, I know Ken and yourself had a really uh, vibrant, if that's the right word, uh, texting going back and forth on charging, yeah, in-house charging, right? So, oh my God, Paul's going to be annoyed with all these texts. So Ken and I went to our own thread after a while. But yeah, and that no, that's okay. It was it was fascinating to see, right? So, but that's the other topic I wanted to touch upon: is there's home chargers, there's adapters. What are these other accessories that you need to do? And it sounds like the big one is charging at home, right? And how do you charge at home? And can I just plug it into my standard 110 outlet? Like, how does this all work in terms of that? And what other accessories would you need besides a home charger and adapters for yeah, different good, charging good there, cables? Paul. The uh, charging at home, you, you have many options. You can use a standard 110 adapter. Um, in fact, where my, my son is right now, he just pulled it into the... Um, apartment garage as an outlet he plugged in uh so we're doing it to try it to see what it's like with just a regular 110 outlet but only a 15 amp breaker and he's getting five miles an hour which is ridiculously slow okay and then you have things like the charge point network or the um it's sort of a what they call level two there are multiple levels of charging you have level one level two um Level one is 110. Level two is generally a higher amperage, probably like a 40 amp breaker. And some of those will get you 20 miles an hour charge. Some of those will get you about 40 miles an hour charge, depending on the vehicle, of course, right? Depending on how efficient the vehicle is. My vehicles on my home charger, I have a dedicated circuit to it. I get about 43, 44 miles an hour charge there. Per hour. Yeah, per hour. Okay. And and besides, so to put one of those in your home, right, because I know you and Ken were talking about it, um, is that an expensive endeavor to get one of these upgraded chargers for, for your house? What can people expect to pay for something like that in yeah, the range? So, so the, whether it be a charge point home unit or uh, a Tesla home unit, the actual wall-mounted charger itself is generally around the $500 range. 
then you need to run the wire to that. So it depends on how long the run is going to be in your home. So for me, unfortunately, the run was as far as I physically could go in my house. It was from one corner where my electric panel comes in to the exact opposite corner of my home is where I was going to put my charger. So that, um, that did cost a lot of money. What I did when I did that, though, is instead of using, um, uh, like, instead of using, I think, four gauge or three gauge, I went to two gauge wire just so I could actually have a hundred amp breaker going there. So in the future, if I ever wanted to, I can have, plug in two cars at the same time. I get another charger and do that. And, and there is an in-between, by the way. There is something else you can do, which a lot of people do. It's much more economical, and that is you can have a dryer outlet, say put to your garage or somewhere. And with a lot of the cars, they, there's an adapter that comes with the car that you can plug into that and plug into your car now with that adapter you're going to get about 20 miles an hour charge which is kind of reasonable right especially if you're leaving it overnight 20 miles that's not so bad very cool very cool and then one of the other things you touched upon was autonomous driving right and 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 i think that maybe we could just spend two minutes just explaining that term right because i know people hear that term and they're not quite exactly sure what that means so maybe you could just spend two minutes telling us a little bit about autonomous mode or what they're doing in that space and sure. what it means so, yeah uh, so you, example I, I don't know which subaru you just got paul but uh, some of the subarus have something called eyesight which are two cameras on the sides of the mirrors and and they also a lot of the cars all have radar sensors um general motors has cruise the cruise uh, network I think that's what they call it for their autonomous driving and assistance. So what that is, is there are different levels of autonomous driving, one through five. Five is completely autonomous driving and almost no steering wheel. No one's there yet. You have level one, level two. We're kind of mostly in the level two right now. I think Tesla's about to get make the breakthrough potentially. It keeps, I think the beta version came out just today, Saturday, July 10th, um, 2021. That's what I was reading about. That beta of it is out there. So let's go talk about level two. That's what the most common right now. And that is where it'll help you stay in your lane. It's that adaptive cruise control. So when it sees a vehicle in front of you, it'll slow down um, and, and range gauge your speed off of that and some of them like my car will take the turns on the highway then a little bit later the next version sort of is well if i put the blinker on and i'm in that mode it'll change lanes for me and so it looks make sure it's safe and it'll actually change lanes for you and maintain speeds and everything there's also some of the emergency features where a good friend of mine, he was on a bridge uh, in upstate New York, I think, uh, the Tappan Zee, which is now like the Mario Cuomo Bridge or something. And some car went to come in his lane and the car knew what was around it at all times. So before he could react, the car had moved him over a lane to avoid the accident. That's some of the autonomous driving. 
That's very cool. Yeah, that's very yeah. cool. And and I think, you know, one of the things we definitely want to touch upon is around kind of the financial benefits. And I think under that umbrella is really, you know, uh, when to buy, calculating the, the return on investment, gas versus electric, uh, factoring any state or federal rebates for buying a economically, you know, sound car. Um, and even sometimes I believe you and, and Ken were exchanging notes on electrical company rebates in terms of getting rebates from your electric company or charging at certain times a day where you'll save money if you charge it overnight as opposed to during peak hours. So maybe, you know, the last topic is all around this financial side, Paul. So uh, why don't we, if you could take us down that road a little bit in terms of the finances, how does this, yeah. how does this all tie out in the end? So well, like, like any good financial podcast, we do have to talk about the finances. I, I guess that'd be. Yeah. You know what? That's true. We've been focusing <laughs> a lot on other things. That's a great call out. Yeah. So now if you, know, if you need to fast forward in the, we're at the 52 minute mark, um, this is where the financial part of this will really start. <laughs> sorry, so everyone. sorry, everybody, but yeah, Paul, go ahead, jump into the whole financial, uh, you know, aspects of what we were, you know, what I had just asked you would be, would be great. Yeah. So, you know, when you're looking at cost to own right, or how cost to operate. So, sure, you, you can compare, well, this vehicle costs more than this vehicle. Pick what you want from a vehicle point of view and, and the options and accessories, and they all get up there in price. Um, I like to look at it as cost of ownership, cost to operate. So you can you can put in the value of the vehicle into that calculation, but just operating the vehicle itself, what does it cost me per mile to operate this vehicle? And with an electric vehicle, it's really dependent upon your electric rates. Okay, Long Island happens to be some of the most expensive electric rates in the country. We're at about 19 cents per kilowatt. Now, my car holds approximately 74 kilowatts of power. So you can do the math on that. It's not terribly expensive to fill up. Now, gasoline cars, again, you know, when you're doing these comparisons, everyone's like, oh, I can get a car much more efficient that's, you know, 50 miles per gallon or whatever it is. It, there are people who are truly just curious about it and there are people who are just completely naysayers about it and, and going to find negative results on it. So, Paul, last night I was up very late. I took my 1,159.75 mile, mile journey, and I did all the math on it. Okay, that's actually how many miles we drove. And I compared it versus my older SUV, which on average on the highway I probably get 22 miles per gallon. And gas is about $3 a gallon, depending on where you are. I took the conservative number of $3 per gallon for gasoline, 22 miles per gallon in that vehicle on the highway. Total mileage, again, 1,159.75 miles. I would have used 52 gallons, almost 53 gallons of fuel for that journey. At $3 a gallon, that's $158 in just fuel cost to get down here. Now, what did I actually spend? So, again, each car that we brought down, one's an older one, but it's a little bit smaller. Uh, it's a car versus a small SUV, so it's a little bit more efficient. One car, so I'll compare the SUV versus the SUV. How about that? Yeah, let's so, go head-to-head. 
And so $158 in fuel costs versus 80, almost $88 in electric costs. Well, interesting. Yeah, it's a big savings. It definitely is a big savings. And, and I think in a weird way, you could flip this around, right, in terms of the convenience factor. I know we're focused on the financial. I'll let you speak, but I'll interject for one second. Um, the fact that you don't have to go to a gas station, you don't have to really physically go somebody where, like, no one has a gas pump at their house, right? But the fact that you can have overnight, you know, have the equivalent of filling up your tank painlessly, um, I think is a big benefit as well that people are not realizing uh, in terms yeah, of pumping gas and, 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 and such. So that's probably another convenience factor that people will say, well, it's inconvenient to have an electrical car. Well, maybe in some cases it's really convenient to have an it, electrical it's car. It's more convenient because you yeah. don't have to go anywhere. You yeah. can plug it in at home. And especially when uh, there was a fuel shortage right, on the East Coast for a week or two, right? So that could play in as well. But I'll let you continue, Paul, with kind of the cost analysis and the financial benefits and keeping to the financial topic. I'm sorry to take us off track, but no, I needed no to interject. No worries. So when I look at cost to operate the vehicle, so for that journey, you know, that's 14 cents a mile for the for the gasoline car. Now, for the electric car, I did one, two, three, four different price comparisons on what it costs to operate, okay? And, and the reason why, and they're dramatically different, believe it or not. The reason why I did this is because electric rates are very different throughout the United States. So... Tesla has a supercharger network, and the rates vary from state to state. So I kind of looked at the most expensive, or actually, no, I looked at the Florida one for that, because that's where I am right now. Uh, one was a little bit more expensive. That was about 26 cents a kilowatt. I think one of the one of the chargers, I think in Maryland, was about 30 cents a kilowatt. So at 26 cents a kilowatt, the cost per mile was six cents per mile. So... Okay, so that's, you know, the 14 versus the 6 there. And then there's a blink charging network here at this apartment. That's a, that is at $0.30 cents a kilowatt, so that's about $0.07. Cents. In New York, it costs me about $0.05 cents a mile. And if I use the regular grid, no charging, it's about $0.02 cents a mile to operate here. So right now I'm only on a 110 outlet plugging plugged in just for fun. Um, you know, it might be worthwhile to get the dryer power in there, and this way I can get some more realistic uh, charging times. But then, you know, paying an electrician, I don't know how long he's going to stay in this place for. So he gets a different place or a more permanent place. So I probably won't do anything there. And he could just use there. Like I said, there's a uh, a charging station in the complex right here for him to just. It's like three houses away or whatever it is, or buildings away. That's really, really close. It's, I, I, if I count it out, it's, it, it's probably, you know, on a regular suburban neighborhood, it's probably like three houses away. And that's what it costs. It, it's really, really cheap to operate. Of course, you're paying for tires, uh, windshield wipers, windshield wiper fluid. Uh, and that's really it, Paul. I mean, I had the vehicle for 38,000 miles. That's all I did. And if I had a question about, oh, my goodness, am I losing range in the car? I put in a ticket for that twice just because I could. They 
connect to your car. They look at the telemetry data of your car, the battery health, everything. And they got back to me and two days later said, hi, we checked everything. We don't see any dead cells or anything wrong with your vehicle. And over time, you do lose range. I want to be clear. Okay. Just like a gasoline loses efficiency over years of use and driving, the average, and I can really only speak to Teslas because that's what I've owned and, and operated, what I've read and everything I've seen, you can lose about 10% is sort of the peak loss of range over years and years. So it takes a few years for you to lose that range, but you do, do lose a little bit. Got it. Okay. And then I know um, some states to states, they offer electrical rebates or discounts, right? Uh, in terms of the electric companies, depending on the time you charge and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I think Ken mentioned something on that in, yeah. in Con Edison where we are, and but out in Long Island, it's different. So I guess, is that something that some of the electric companies do provide some level of discount if you're charging at certain hours or... And maybe yeah, that ties do. also into kind of state and federal rebates. I think years ago, there used to be rebates that you could apply for when you bought one of these cars. Is that still the case? Or are they yes. so popular now that they don't offer those? Uh, the answer is yes to all the above. So for the charging, um, Con Ed, the power company, I believe, by you and, and Ken, they do have a program where they one will monitor when you're charging there's a little plug-in that goes into your car and they'll give you rebates back for charging off hours which is really kind of cool um where i am they don't offer that that's kind of annoying but you can do what's called time value charging or something like that where i am where i can get a much cheaper rate at night for my power it's actually half the price if i use it at night but that's for the whole house, not just the vehicle. And then during the day, though, my overall rate would go up a lot. So when I think about air conditioning and everything else, I did do the math. And I found that, you know, I'd break even. So I didn't bother changing it. Because once you switch that time value charging, you have to stay on it for at least a year. And I just didn't see the value in doing that. But a lot of companies like I know Con Ed does offer a, a better incentive program for switching or charging those vehicles at night now as far as rebates to, to finish up that topic there paul it's very state by state california is pretty generous with it new york has a nice program where they take two thousand dollars off the sticker price of the car before taxes and everything and just an incentive new jersey for electric vehicles i know you don't pay any tax on the electric vehicles so when you're talking a car you know, say a $54,000 car, you know, you're, you're, you're saving probably about $5,000 there in tax. It's quite impressive. Very cool. Very cool. And, and I think that one of the questions maybe we'll kind of, I got two more topics I want to hit. One is when to buy, is there an ideal time to buy or is it jump in when you're ready kind of buy? Is there any recommendations on when to buy, um, and, 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 and is there any negotiation on these things? I guess maybe depending on the car line. Uh, so when it comes to buying an electric vehicle, um, when to buy and, and, and how can you get the best deal? Yeah, so with uh, I'll speak for Tesla, then I want to talk about that. Actually, Ford did something recently as well. So with Tesla, you buy it online on your phone 
Paul, the price you pay is the same price I'm going to pay for the same configuration. There is no negotiation in any sense of the word. This is the price of the vehicle. Uh, Tesla's demand in particular has been through the roof lately. They, um, in fact, the car I just got, the Model Y, you can't get that now. It's booked, I think, through September for in the U.S. It just if you order one today, you're not going to get it until September or maybe October time frame. That's how much in demand they are. So that, that puts a little interesting wrinkle in the buying process. You went, you saw a car, yay, it's a pretty color, okay, you picked it up a couple of days later. Were you with us in the test drive in the back seat? <laughs> Never mind. No, I wasn't. I was probably driving somewhere else, right? But uh, so, so that's that's an interesting thing. It takes a little bit of planning and forethought on your point. Um, Carvana, another company we've talked about a couple times on the on the podcast here. If you go to their website and look for a used Tesla Model Three, Model Y in particular, there are none. They're already sold before they have them on their site almost. It's, it's, it's ridiculous how some of these are selling. Um, the high-end Teslas, they just raised the price, I think, yesterday on the high-end ones by $5,000. Um, again, that's the Model S and the Model X. So when to buy, you know, Paul, it, it's kind of weird because cars used to be, okay, I got a 2021. All right, great. They're not going to change anything major for three years. Where Tesla in particular is always changing things. So in the two months that my buddy got his, he's two and a half months, and I got and mine was manufactured back in 2018, they had actually made a modification to the rear seats to make them more comfortable or something. So they are constantly iterating. So when is a good time to buy? Is when you do the math and you're comfortable with the numbers, and you you can take that plunge. Very cool. Very cool. And my last question for you, and this relates to, I guess it was a couple of years ago before COVID, uh, Ken, myself, and yourself were sitting in your Tesla in the driveway and on the main screen in the middle, it had the fireplace going for Christmas mode and, oh. and, it, had, you know, and it had the whoopee cushion where you could put it under people's different seats virtually. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the podcast or we should end the podcast with... Um, you know, I think the summary recap, I think we both have the same thing, right? They're fun to drive, really cool to buy, do your homework and math, right? They're not for everybody, but do your homework, do your math. Would you agree, Paul? That's kind of the takeaway is just do your research, do your math and, and have fun. Yeah. Um, I would never buy a gasoline vehicle again, personally. Uh, it just, it's been so reliable and so much fun to drive. And, you know, I took my Acura in for an oil change. And all of a sudden they said, well, we estimate you're going to need $2,500 in repairs because you need this, you need this, you need that. I'm like, oh, I was so infuriated, Paul. I, I almost wanted to um, get another one. I just wanted to trade that in, get rid of it. I can't do that financially, but, like, I was so infuriated with that whole experience and process where for – the Tesla, I wanted the ca air cabin filters replaced. Um, I didn't have time to do it myself before we drove down. It's a little bit hard to get to in the car, the interior cabin filter. So I put it in on the phone, service request. I picked a date and time. They came to my house. They changed it. They left. Like, 
it doesn't get better. Two completely opposite paradigms there. And I, I did one thing I want to say, and I forgot to say it before. Two things, I guess. Ford. Ford made a big announcement recently, and that that the most popular vehicle in America, not car, not truck, everything, is uh, has been the Ford F-150 pickup truck for 40 something years. Right, every year. That's what sells in this country, by far. You can see all these other reports, but that's the best vehicle. Ford announced the Ford F-150 Lightning, which is the electric version on the same body of the truck. So it's really interesting. They're saying 300 miles of range. That's my sort of minimum bar. But some of the testing out there has shown that that 300-mile range was with 1,000 pounds of payload. So it's more of a real-world kind of range which puts it at an advertising range. It could be, you know, 400-something miles. What I love about that vehicle is where I live, Paul, we get lots of power outages. You, you think we don't live in where we live, but we do. And that vehicle, when I'm plugged in, say I charge it up because a storm is coming, so a car is charged up, I lose power, I can hit a couple buttons on my phone. Obviously, something else electrical needs to be installed at the panel to prevent backfeed, but it'll charge the house. I, it can energize the house. It yeah, it's energize fascinating. The entire house. <laughs> now, when you look at the battery capacity of that vehicle versus how much power I use, I tend to use approximately 24 kilowatts a month, depending on the month. That's kind of where I average out at over a year because I do look at that. That can run my house full bore for days yeah very now, interesting if i'm conservative with my electric i can probably want it a heck of a lot longer i could probably get 10 days out of that truck before the truck will stop powering the house because it won't go to zero because it knows it needs to go somewhere to charge or whatever interesting so, interesting and a lot and, of interesting stuff and i think the last question i have for you before we end yeah. is what are your top five fun features of the Tesla, right, that you own? Like, so what are the top five? I know there's a lot of gadgets and bells and whistles, but what are your top five fun feature favorites in the vehicle? Uh, uh, I have to be honest. Gosh, I love that acceleration. You know, here I am in this little, you know, electric golf cart, as some people have called them, and I'll, I'll take a Porsche if I wanted to, right? I, I, I just can't. It's just a fact. <laughs> and so the acceleration is so much fun. There is no more, oh, do I have enough room to get up there and get over or merge on? All those questions are gone. Um, my car, the, the new one, they really improved the sound system and some of the other fun gadgety features. Like, <laughs> it's stupid stuff, Paul. It really is. It's like, yeah. yeah, that's what I was fishing for. I want to hear the stupid right? stuff. What are the top five? You really don't need these features, but they're really cool to have features. Oh, goodness. So I was just with my nephew last night. He was playing video games in the car while we were parked outside. He loves that. Um, the outside boom box, which is something that I didn't have on my other car, but I do now because uh, the federal government mandated when you're backing up that the car must make a noise. Because these things are so darn quiet. So you, they have a sound playing there, which means there's an external speaker. So Tesla, being the just really big kid that they are sometimes, has all sorts of sounds you can play outside the vehicle. So 
I was driving around with Caribbean music banging out the bottom of the car, right? Just <laughs> they have an ice cream truck sound that you could drive down the neighborhood with. So when I was coming up to my uh, my sister-in-law's house, my nephew was outside. I turned on the um, the Christmas uh, truck song. No, not the Christmas. The uh, the ice, ice cream, cream truck, truck song. Yep. That's funny. My wife, my bride, she loves Christmas mode, which is on screen instead of your car. It becomes Santa's sleigh, and the other cars become reindeer on screen, and it plays jingle bells. And when you use your directional light, instead of the click, 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 it's jingle bells jingling. So um, there's only just it's just like you're just a big kid sometimes, and. Uh, you know, from from the funny, stupid stuff, uh, those are some of the fun things. It's just, it's just so easy to drive. It really is. Very like cool. I said, I would never buy a gasoline car again. But I did put down the deposit on the Ford F one fifty. It was like a hundred dollar deposit. That's fully refundable. The power outage component of that is very compelling to me. It's very compelling to me. Um, I'm not a fan of the styling of the Cybertruck. It's really an on-off switch with that because that is so funky looking. I'm not sure I could make that leap, Paul, but we'll see. Time will tell. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.